Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Value-added upgrading and processing of bitumen. However, aside from the technical, economic, political, there are also potentially major regulatory issues, for example, through NAFTA and W2O with challenges with differential royalties for upgraded uh, versus non-upgraded bitumen. And I wonder whether you can illuminate uh, a bit on that topic. So the question would be, if it were found that the government of Alberta was unduly subsidizing the cost of upgraded bitumen, that that would that would um, well the that, w- that, that would violate uh, NAFTA. It would look like yeah. a subsidy. In other words, that's l- right. Similar, similar to the softwood lumber dispute. Yes, that the challenges could come well, from anywhere, from whether from yeah. U.S. or offshore, uh, from NAFTA. Well, NAFTA U.S. mainly, yeah. but W2AO from Europe. Or, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Since Virtually no bitumen will be exported until one of the four proposed pipelines is completed, exported other than the United States. I think it's best just to keep it to, uh, to NAFTA and, and North America for now. And I think the, the difference is between softwood lumber or a countervail against uh, cattle with, well, um, country of origin labeling pretends not to be a countervail, but that's let's be honest, that's what it is. Uh, in those instances, you have U.S. domestic producers that are putting pressure on their congressmen in Washington to protect what they're doing, whether it's softwood lumber out of the southeast U.S., a little bit in the northwest, or else the cattle operations in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, who don't want to compete, right? With When it comes to bitumen, the Americans want, well, <laughs> except for President Obama and now maybe Hillary Clinton, uh, 70% of Americans want more Canadian oil. They don't care whether it's bitumen or whether it's traditional light oil. Uh, the United States, in the by the end of the 1990s, was importing 50% of all the oil it consumes every day. And it consumes like something like 16 or 17 million. No, that's, that was its... That was its... It was importing 16 or 17 million barrels a day just to meet domestic consumption, which is what made it, again, those of you who have hair the color of mine, remember 1973, 1979, the OPEC oil shops, shocks, um, you know, the price of oil tripled in 1973, $3 to $10. It tripled again in 1979, $10 to $30. If, you know, I, at that point I had my first job, I had a mortgage, I had three kids, and I had a heating, a heating house that was heated by home heating oil back east. And, uh, you know, suddenly the price of that, that tripled, right? The Americans don't want to be held hostage to OPEC oil, so they like Canadian oil, except for the current president and perhaps the next Democratic president. Um, 
and 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 again, there are lots of Americans. You know, why why are so many American soldiers fighting and dying, including Canadian soldiers fighting and dying in the Middle East? Is it to bring democracy to the Middle East? I think it has a lot more to do with security of supply. So I don't I don't think there's not the same self-interest that would motivate a countervail against the perception of subsidized bitumen that there is that operates in um, softwood lumber or, or, or cattle. Thanks very much for driving down, Ted. That's, uh, I was coming anyhow, right? So it's on, I'm on my way. I was on my way. You would appreciate a small city like Lethbridge. Lethbridge is a big city. I grew, I grew up in a city of 35,000. 35, I grew up in Casper, Wyoming. Some of you have driven by it. Probably none of you have stopped there on your way to Denver. It was a very nice little town to grow up in, though. Anyway, uh, my question is relates to what are we going to do? Uh, aside from the price of oil, taking a jump, uh, what are some of the options that we have to make this thing work? And uh, it, it's I mean, the price of oil is usually every time there's a crisis in the Middle East, the price of oil jumps. This time around, it uh, dropped. So what, what's the outlook for price of oil? And because that's probably really what the only thing that can make this thing uh, viable. Well, it, again, most of you know I like to fish, and my wife looks at me when I go out to fish, and she says, "What are you crazy? You, you think your one little fly or your worm or whatever you're using that in that great big lake or that great big river, a fish is going to come to your hook?" She's a realist, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of you women can see where I'm going. Male, male self-delusion, female realism. So I, I, am, I am an optimist. I am an optimist. And uh, my wife reminds me of that all the time. But I, what I'm about to say, I think, is, is a reality. Alberta's future is very, very good. The world, there's 7.2 billion people in the world today. That's like double what it was when I was born. And what, when I was born, it was 1949. It was a double what, what it was when my father was born in 19... There are a lot of people on the face of the earth. And there's, most of them don't have anywhere near what we have. And, the, the, and there, there, there are hundreds of millions of people that want middle-class lifestyles. And there are going to be global shortages of fuel, fiber... I forget my, my third one. Fuel, fiber, and food. Yeah, the three Fs. Thank you. Uh, and particularly, there's a big demand for, for meat. Not just food, but meat. Because middle class people are tired of eating rice and wheat. They, want, they may not know what steaks are yet, but they know what hamburgers are and, things, and sausage. They want meat. And Alberta does fuel, fuel, fiber, and food. And so, yes, and again, we're, in a, we're a commodity-producing province. There, commodities, by definition, cycle up and down for all sorts of reasons. But uh, in the cattle business, has you know, never been better than it is right now. now could be in the pits by the end of the, this decade. But it, but it will be over, well, maybe not our lifetimes, again, judging from my color of hair. But cattle industry is going to be a healthy industry in the go-forward. Uh, forestry will come back, and I'll guarantee you so, so will oil and gas. So um, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the, the, the future of our province, although it does require good, good government to maximize those opportunities. And obviously, I didn't 
claim to have been part of a government that did a very good job, certainly on the diversification uh, issue. Uh, Mr. Martin, my name is Frank Tile. I think I'm known in the area as the as the fighter for for a royalty system, for okay. little money for my grandchildren and their children. Mr. Lahid, Premier Lahid, had the guts to sit down with these people and say, it's 35% or get off the lot, okay? Your government has given away practically everything that we, my children and Albertans are ever going to get, and you're one, one of the people responsible for it, without question. Obama screamed at our prime minister for subsidizing the oil companies. They don't do it in the United States. Now, where, where are we going to get our money? Where, what's your stand on what Lougheed demanded and what your government was actually shields of the oil company? You gave it all away. Now, what, what, what made you people give it away? You told us all, all the information about the pros and cons of what it costs and what it cost. What did it cost Albertans? Now, why, why couldn't you get a decent royalty set up uh, as compared to Norway and Alaska? They're all millionaires. Sure, sure. I have already asked the question. Well, well thank you. Okay, thank, thank you, Frank. Uh, royalties are a complex issue. I don't think any of you would dispute that. Uh, you can argue on the details. I think Alberta now, both on the oil sands and on gas and on oil, has what's called a sliding royalty system. Um, when And it goes well by well. It's pretty sophisticated. A well that produces a lot of oil or gas that's high quality at high prices pays royalties that go as high, actually higher than 30%, Frank, go as high as 40%. But when if it's a weak well, if it's producing a poor quality gas or oil, and if prices are low, the royalty can go as low as, as uh, 5 or 10%. And in other words, you can argue about the details, but the royalty systems that are in place now, both for the oil sands, for natural gas, and for, and for conventional oil, the government is particip- the, the, the good thing about the sliding scale royalty is the government participates in the risk. When, it, when things go up, with good, when prices go up, if the wells are good, if there's high production, the company makes money, but so does the government of Alberta. So you can argue about the details, and, and, and again, Premier Notley has put a, a new uh, committee together that is going to review that. But the one thing, Frank, that you didn't mention, and, and the, that I think I will, and again, it's not me mentioning it, it's been v- the very clear message of, of the people on the committee, but it's based in fact that Alberta does not have, never has have, and never will have enough capital to finance the development of not just the oil sands, but even conventional oil and gas. The oil and gas sector is very capital intensive. And from Leduc, 1947, through the mid-'80s, where did all that capital come? Did it come from Montreal and Toronto or London? No. They weren't too interested, at least not in the beginning. It came from the States, right? And that's part of what the NEP was about in the fight over too many Americans. Well, now, now in the last decade and a half, 
Where is that capital coming? Well, it's not just coming from the United States. It's coming from Norway, France, Japan, Korea, even even the even the Saudis and the and the. Uh, Qatar are investing in the oil sands now. This is the largest deposit of oil in the, in, in the world, uh, in single deposit. And everybody wants a piece of it. But they want a piece of it if they can make money. And you have to attract foreign capital. So the investment, the, the, there's, a, there's a dimension to royalty policy that has to do with capital investment and, and foreign investment and you have to be – because there is, in the, in the next 10 or 20 years, there are alternative places for people to go. So if you want to keep seeing the oil being pumped, and again, royalties and what comes to help pay the bills, that not just for you but for your kids and everything else, it's a function of oil being produced now and next, next year and next decade. That requires investment, and Alberta has to be competitive to attract that investment. And, and I, I, I believe Premier Notley is actually going to be a pragmatist on this, not a, not a um, ideologue. And I think you're going to see uh, some fairly modest, modest recommendations coming forward from her committee. My name is Bob Byers, and I'd like to add an addendum to the last. last pardon. Uh, at end them to the last question about royalties or heritage fund, last week every citizen of Alaska got a $2,000 check from their heritage fund. We were not getting anything, as far as I know. <clears throat> and the other point I wanted to make is that uh, <clears throat> diversification is really not the same as value, adding value to a natural resource. And at the present time, about half of the bitumen <coughs> is converted into uh, synthetic crude oil. But all the future production will be <coughs> shipped as bitumen. And shipping bitumen is a rather expensive process. You can't just put it in a pipeline and send it off or into a rail car. It has to be diluted. And the dilutant right now is more expensive than the oil that's been shipped to Western, Western Canada to select. So how is that going to work out? We're importing condensate to <coughs> dilute our bitumen, and the condensate is costing more than Western Canada select. Is that, is that going to work? Well, two, two very different questions. Um, the second one, well, they're both complicated, but the second one... Uh, the diluent bitumen's too too thick to flow by itself, so it has to be diluted. That's the diluent, which is a t used with natural gas liquids, and uh, the price of diluent is not more than the price of bitumen now. You're you're, fa you're factually wrong on that. But the price no, the, no, they're the, not. the price of diluent I, I, has gone up, and the higher it goes, the more it cuts into the profitability of exporting. But again. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what I said about upgrade. If the alternative is to upgrade, how come how come people aren't building building the upgraders here? And again, as far as diluent supply goes, as far as diluent supply goes, with the what's happening in the Montney and some of the other natural gas areas in BC and Alberta, uh, there will be plenty of plenty of actually two things: one, plenty of diluent produced in Canada, and secondly, actually 
there's a new there's a new process of extracting uh, extracting what's called partial partial upgrading. I didn't even get into that, which actually allows the shipping of bitumen without any diluent at all. So that's your second well, question. That's, a, that's an upgrading process. I mean, as, well, it, as it comes out of the pipe and these uh, side uh, <coughs> facilities, that cannot be shipped without dilutant. Again, you're confusing dil diluting with, with, with upgrading. Do uh, you want me to switch to the Alaska question? or No, I... Was, I <coughs> Uh, I checked the website yesterday about the price of condensate versus Western Canada Select, and the condensate is worth more right now, or about the same, as synthetic crude oil. So the condensate, the dilutant, is more expensive than the product. And it, may, <coughs> it comprises about 20% or 30% of Western Canada Select. It's my understanding that the dilutant is recirculated, sent back, and used over and over again. That's that's true too, but still, it, Frank, Frank, yeah, but only from an upgrader. It's not recirculated from from uh, the Texas refineries. Dr. Douglas Mitchell, I just want to switch gears completely. Uh, we've heard your spiel about the oil and gas industry and the problems related to that, and I appreciate the information it's not going to be possible to build a profitable upgrader in Alberta. However, I'm more concerned as a part-time environmental activist on your own opinion, looking ahead, well ahead, to your grandchildren and ask you about the impact of SAGD Fracking. We had a, heard a wonderful presentation from Andrew Nikoforic last I, week I saw that, on yeah. fracking, and uh, I've started to read his new book, and there's some horror stories there about fracking, and just your concept of we realize we have to have this uh, access to fuel oils and the non-renewables, but what about the long-term future and the gradual switch to try to reduce our reliance on the uh, non-renewables. Yep. Again, um, I mean, compared to you, I'm probably not green enough, but um, I think within the caucus, I was considered way too green. Uh, you know, the, the purpose of the Land Stewardship Act, which was the piece of legislation that I put through when I was Minister of Sustainable Resource Development, uh, it's not by accident that the seven regions that are defined there are defined based on watersheds, right? Uh, you should have seen me trying to get that through caucus. I mean, who, how many people know where the watersheds are in Alberta, right? They don't follow uh, county and MD lines. They don't follow uh, road lines. Uh, politicians and everybody else thinks of Alberta in terms of transportation, not watershed. But again, as anybody who pays attention to the environment knows, well, two things. One, there's a much more of a shortage of water in southern and central Alberta than there are hydrocarbons. Uh, and two, planning should take place based on watersheds. So I, I, I'd like to think that uh, I share your concern for future generations and did something about it. Uh, and again, for what it's worth, if anybody looked at last Thursday's Globe and Mail, and I don't regularly read the Globe and Mail, 
But you might have seen I was one of 12 people across Canada that was asked for a, a policy suggestion uh, for uh, the deba leaders' debate last week in Calgary. And what I recommended was a uh, two cent a liter surtax on all fuels, uh, trucks, diesel, everything. But that and that it that the, the surtax money be collected by the federal government, but stay in the province that it's collected in, so no, tran no, no uh, covert transfers, and that the money be deposited into um, carbon reduction strategies that work for that, that, that province has decided fits their, fits their needs. So in our case, uh, reducing carbon in the, in the oil sands, uh, for BC, maybe it would be more public transit. In other words, let each province decide for itself. So I'd like to think I have, I have some credibility on that. As far as Andrew Nikiforik and the, the, his talk last week, there were early examples of fracking where baseline testing was not done. And again, I don't want to get into the details of the particular incident that he, that, that he uses, but uh, I don't know. I've... I hunted, I've hunted geese around Hanna for 30 years, and uh, I remember the first couple of years we'd be up there, we'd all have diarrhea after a couple of days. Finally, one day, we were giving dog to the water, and the gal came out of the hotel and said, well, don't give that dog to the water. There's too much gas in it, right? I said, well, geez, how come you didn't tell us that? <laughs> and uh, so particularly where there's a lot of coal near the surface, we, we have... We have uh, we have that in, in, in water. So I think under the new Alberta Energy Regulator and the land use plans being established that we have, you know, we require baseline testing for any new hydraulic frack, fracking. If there are any wells anywhere near what anything has been developed, the wells have to be tested first to see if there's any, any evidence of existing pollution. And once you have that baseline, if something changes afterwards, you can confirm it. And then do two things. One, try to stop it. And two, compensate the, uh, the, uh, the landowner whose, whose water source has been, uh, has been uh, harmed. But again, I, I would suggest to you that you'll look long and hard. You know, go, you know, go to Pennsylvania, go to Ohio, and look for um, either water monitoring, water rules, or land use land use planning that gets as close to, I think, what what's been put in place in Alberta in the last decade. Ted, uh, ter my name is Terry Shellington. Thank you very much for m uh, being here, and for I pre appreciate the nonpartisan way that you've presented a lot of this information. I One think I've been excommunicated from the Tory Party, anyhow. So yeah, well, I can see why. Yeah. Um, uh, so my question, I wonder if you'd address some of these issues facing the province in terms of uh, possible upgrading and uh, increasing the royalties. Uh, address those questions and the realism of them in terms of $45 a barrel oil. And uh, is any of that possible at $45 a barrel? Are companies making money at 45 or is it 60 Or where, uh, uh, if we're stuck with... 40, under $50 a barrel oil, will, is some of this realistic? I wonder if you'd address the, the factor of oil price. So the answer to that question is different for every company depending on, on how, how, much, how much debt they're carrying and uh, <clears throat> what their kind of current producing reserves are. Um, 
companies that are healthy don't have too much debt. Uh, they can't make any money at 45, but they can keep their head above water. That's probably about two-thirds of the companies. There's probably a third. If, if, if oil stays at $45 for 12 months, uh, you're going to see a lot of people sell out for pennies on the dollar. It would be a very ugly scene. If oil gets back to 60 to, 60 to 65, which I think it will by this time next year, or at least by late fall next year, um, most operators can make a, a can pay their bills, can pay their bills and st- keep keep the doors open. Uh, the, the minute you get into then the seventy and eighty dollar range, uh, then you're beginning to look more at returns on investment, which is what investors look at and what the people that run the companies look at in the 10, 10 to 15 percent range, which historically has been considered kind of a, a healthy return on, on investment. And it, again, you've heard what I said before. I, I think the oil, the, the world runs on, runs on oil. And uh, there's 7.2 billion people out there. Even with the concerns about climate change, you have hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, who want half, just half of the life that we enjoy in North America and Europe in terms of not just convenience but, but, but health and lifespan. If you don't have 24-hour electricity, you can't have modern medicine, right? You have to have refrigeration for modern medicine. Of that 7.2 billion people, half of them don't have that. It's where child mortality is. So uh, prices, prices are going to come back. And, uh, I again, this is – you can't, you know, squeeze blood from a turnip, right? We have all know that. Um, I think – so in the 45 to $60, $65 range, there's almost no, no space for royalty changes. I think there is room for royalty changes at the upper ends. And I, if I've made a prediction, I think that's what, what you'll see coming out of this committee. Okay. We have time for one more question and one more question. I'm glad you have both a liberal pen and a red shirt on. (laughs) Okay. My name is Peter Beal. I think I recognize you, Peter. (laughs) And uh, the question actually rolls into what you were just talking about. Oh, I mean, why is the government so greedy as to want the extraction now, to promote it now? I mean, there's oil and gas and coal, and everything is beautifully safe in the ground. And the thing is, they say by 2050, we're going to have 9 billion people. And as more and more of the world's population wants to move to the middle class, what we're really looking at is, you know, you get a very high price, very high royalty uh, once you get to that point. You know, because uh, they say right now, the developed world is using energy at about two and a half times the rate at which it falls on the planet because basically everything, wind, everything comes from the sun. And we're using the energy in the developed world at two and a half times the rate that we're getting it. So as more of the world comes to it, hydrocarbons will be more and more important. So we could actually like putting it in the bank, leave it in the ground uh, while the prices are this low and uh, raise royalty sky high and everybody become a millionaire here in Alberta. So, you know, why why is the government so greedy to promote the development in the form of subsidizing oil companies and things like that? Thank you. Everybody would be millionaires in 2050 under your scenario, but there'd be a lot of, there'd be a lot of hurt in Albertans uh, for the next uh, decade or two. Tell all of your sons and grand 
your children and grandchildren who are up doing engineering and uh, geology at uh, U of L or U of A or U of C that, uh, hey, you guys are going to have to go somewhere else for your generation because we're going to kind of slow things up here. I mean, uh, and then, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of hurt going on in this province right now. So you don't just, I mean, at a theoretical level, that you, the argument you make is a good one. And you might remember Peter Lougheed was kind of made a similar argument, right? Slow things up a little bit. But, and I'd be okay with a little bit of slow up, but you don't, things have slowed up a lot already because of price. And you don't go from uh, from 100 to 50 right away without causing a lot of damage. Uh, and, and and this is human damage. You know, people, and particularly our our children. Uh, I, mean, I know I have a lot of friends who have, you know, I'm 64, so all my kids' friends are in their 30s. Most of them are married. Most of them have their first or second kid. Most of them have a way too big a mortgage. Most of them haven't paid for their cars. They have car loans. They have mortgages. And a whole bunch of them are either the unlucky ones are out of work and the ones that uh, are lucky are getting lots of unpaid holidays or 10% cuts and stuff like that. So you can't uh, – got to look after people that are hurting now too. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Ted. Great. Not on. Thanks very much, Ted. A great presentation and uh, insightful.